welcome to Code Together, an interview series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those at the forefront. I'm your host, Brenda Christopher. Heterogeneous programming has been around for quite a while. It's challenging for developers because it's been difficult to code or forces compromises in performance, and that's no fun. One API is working to break that mold. It's open, unified, and standard-based approach is different. Developers can use a single code base across multiple types of architectures and vendors. And One API also carries a promise of both performance and productivity. Many HPC research centers, enterprises, and developers are now experimenting and adopting One API. Today, we turn to a few experts that have dived in to share their experience. Joining us is Dr. Thomas Schenke, head of the supercomputing department at Zeus Institute Berlin, which we'll refer to as ZIB. Thomas has been at ZIB for 29 years and is a well-known veteran across the HPC industry. He's the author of many papers covering heterogeneous computing, Fortran, Memory, OneAPI, OpenMP, and more. Welcome, Thomas. Hello, this is Thomas. And also from ZIB, we have Dr. Stefan Kriskow. He's an expert in parallel and distributed computing, supercomputing, and algorithms for innovative architectures. Thanks for joining us, Stefan. Yeah, hi, Brenda. And last, we have Klaus Dieter Ortel, an HBC Senior Technical Consultant from Intel. He belongs to the first generation of parallel programming experts in Germany and has worked on all kinds of supercomputers. Klaus Dieter collaborates with ZIB on One API, along with many other European customers. Great to have you with us. Hello, Erna. Well, let's get started. So, Thomas, could you share how you got started with One API? for heterogeneous programming? Yeah, thanks for this question. We as an HPC center watched, of course, the technology trends over the last decade, and we saw GPUs becoming more and more important and popular in the HPC scene. We saw also that the type of programming models wasn't what we are looking for. So we want to have uh, most code portability across different processor architectures, and we don't want to be bound to uh, specific architectures and software programming models. As devices, nowadays, we consider, along with the CPUs, also GPUs, of course, and FPGAs, but there might be other processing devices on the horizon in the artificial intelligence space and beyond. The challenge here is that we have a high innovation rate in the hardware, so we buy every three to five years a new big system, but the software needs to be run over decades. So we have software codes running for 30 years and so on, and still needs to be maintained. So deciding then for an attractive hardware is like a chick and egg problem. So one may buy hardware, which gives the highest theoretical performance, but maybe no software is running on it. Always versa that there's a bunch of running software, but they support only specific hardware. At our side, we want to remove these when mounting to specific technologies. And here comes one API into place. 
as one goal of one API is to support approaches like that one source code can be able to run on different vendor architectures, not even different processor incarnations like CPUs, GPUs, and so on, but also running on different vendors. And this is much important for us as this brings us much more productivity and less maintenance for the code developers. Thank you, Thomas, for sharing your motivation to get involved with One API. So what was then the first use case you started with at ZRB and why did you choose it? Yeah, maybe I can jump into this question because I was the one that actually did a lot of work with One API here at ZIB. And the very first workload that we started with was not that much more than the usual vector edition example that you find in the codes and so on on unusual tutorials. We had a very simple stencil application with really one single kernel that we migrated with the help of the compatibility tool to one API. But then we started looking at something more serious. And in my old working group at the University of Potsdam, there was a collaboration between the university there and the German Research Center for Geosciences. And they are working on a code named EasyWave that is a quite simple written application. That's why it's named EasyWave. And it's easy in that sense that it computes tsunamis really, really fast because it is used in early warning centers. So in case you have an earthquake inside an ocean or so, you may be interested as a government, is my coastline affected and are my people affected or will they be affected by the tsunami that might develop out of this earthquake. And therefore, you need a fast computation. That's why they developed EasyWave. At the time they were developing the application, they also addressed GPUs because they were well suited for this particular problem. And they wrote that application at that time, some years ago in CUDA. But the promise now was from the Intel folks that there exists some tool that would help us to migrate this CUDA code base into DPC++ or into the SQL code base. And that's where our journey actually started to become more and more interesting for us. That's where we actually get started with one API. And I think that was kind of a good collaboration between us at ZIB with this application and with the folks at Intel concerning this easy wave code and the compatibility tool. Okay, thanks. Going now into some more technical details, could you elaborate on the challenges of programming with one API? So did you face any surprises and what are the lessons learned? Well, actually, one surprise for us was this compatibility tool, that it actually works as promised, so to say. So if you first get confronted with a tool that promises you there is some kind of automatic support for migrating a code base from, let's say, one programming model to another one, you raise your eyebrows and think, oh, that will really, really work. But essentially, it did work. And this was really, really surprising for us, a positive surprise. And for me personally, the challenge was learning a new programming model. So I had some CUDA background, and usually I'm a C programmer. Now I was confronted with Zickel or DPC++. And at the first glance, I was kind of skeptic because you have all these abstractions in C++ going on with the buffers and accessors for accessing the data on your GPU, which, well, hides a lot of details from you. 
but also you have the feeling personally for me as a C programmer that you lose some kind of control over the application. Meanwhile, Circle now provides you with is a different levels of abstractions that you can actually use. So you can actually use these higher level constructs with C++ abstractions, hiding a lot of details for you, which might be convenient. But on the other hand, you also have the control over things like memory management with the help of unified shared memory. That's good to have this choice because in the end, I think it is often personal preference, which where you want to go. Do you want clean code that abstracts a lot of things or do you want to write more low-level oriented code to have more control over where does the memory come from and where does it go to and which layout would it have maybe? So this is this large space of personal preferences and how to write code. And the nice thing about DPC++ and Zykl or one API, so in general, is that you can choose from all of it. And you can even mix your code and have different flavors inside your code. So this is really something that is good from our perspective. And what is also good is that these things are not only bound to a particular vendor, which would be Intel in that case, but Intel is also interested to push the things that are beneficial, also from our perspective, into the standard to have other people implementing the standard and by doing so, providing other users with these great features as well so that they can benefit from that. And yeah, as I said, I think we provided a lot of feedback to Intel on that side when it comes to usability from the tool on its own, how it is working, how we can interact with that, but also on aspects of the language and how you can use actually Zykl and DBC++ in an efficient way. Yes, thank you. And I also really have to thank you here for all the collaboration because LetterB started at a very early stage of one APA. So you were really risk taking and your feedback on our compiler and tools such as the DPC++ compatibility tool. It was really essential for the rapid development from our beta product to the quality software that One API is today. So this was really great to have your feedback. And as an outcome, for example, many other customers now have successfully used the DPCT tool to migrate their CUDA software to DPC++ code. So our collaboration was really fruitful here. So what were then the benefits of One API for you? I think in particular with respect to the 4P, so the portability, programming, performance, and productivity. Yeah, Klaus-Dieter, let me start maybe with one of the four Ps, that is portability. As I said in the introduction, portability is very important for us. And through the work we have done applying compilers and tools from the One API framework, we could able for us to demonstrate that it is possible to have a functional source code written in DPC++ and running that on CPU, GPUs, and even FPGAs. I come to that later on. The other aspect, programming, Steffen might dive into that later, but I want to continue with the portability aspect, why it is so important, why we are so satisfied with one API at this point. Portability sounds like a trade-off between function and performance. And the big challenge is that one doesn't want to give up performance, particularly in the HPC scene. So, of course, we also looking at performance. Stefan will talk to that later because he had this nice experiences with that. 
But one also to take into account that, of course, tuning code to getting the last bit of performance requires often manual labor work. And so we are looking a reasonable balance between approaching a high sustained application performance versus maintaining the code. And this is part of the portability aspect. And one API supports that along this way that we have functional correct code running on different devices. And we then can make decisions whether to take more effort in getting performance on the specific device. Yeah. So concerning the programming point, I mean, Thomas already explained it a little bit. So if you want to support multiple devices from different vendors, you don't want to have different code bases for all these hardware classes and hardware generations and so on. So what we were able to do with the one API, or in particular with the use case EasyWave, is to write code that runs both on Intel CPUs as well as GPUs, but also on NVIDIA GPUs. So we were both covering different GPUs from different vendors, and we were also covering CPUs and GPUs, so different device classes with a single code base. That doesn't mean that you have to do particular things or to do further optimizations for the specific device classes, but in principle, the SQL programming model and the one API provides you here with good portability using the same source code and using the same programming language. Thanks. So now I'm really keen to hear about the holy grail in HPC, which is performance. So what can you tell us about the performance of the One API code? Yeah, in particular for this EasyWave code, this was a really good result that we achieved. So as I said, we started with the original code base that was written in CUDA or had support for CUDA. And then we used the compatibility tool to migrate the code, and then we were able to run it on as I said, Intel CPUs, Intel GPUs, and NVIDIA GPUs. So for the NVIDIA GPU, we already had a baseline, which was the original program version, and then we had this migrated code base. And surprisingly, we had only very little performance overhead. So when it comes to actual numbers, we can say that we were very close to the original NVIDIA code or CUDA code. The maximum performance loss that we observed was 4% of the original runtime. So 1.04 speed up or slowdown, as you want to call it, depending on how you look at it. And this was enabled by the contribution to the open One API ecosystem from Codeplay. So they provided their implementation of the runtime and the compiler, which is based on LLVM. This was actually the technical enabler to run the migrated code on NVIDIA hardware back again. So when we use the same device with different code, but solving the same problem, optimistically speaking, we didn't lose any performance in that particular use case. And this was really surprising and good news for us. Thanks for providing these insights and the outcome for you. So my final question is at ZIB, what is the future going on to bring in HPC? First, I'd like to take these upcoming challenge in the HPC industry that is providing systems at exascale performance. And I want to position our HPC center in that area. The SUSE Institute uh, is become recently a member of the tier two HPC Alliance in German. So this gives us the opportunity mission 
to support the scientists coming from their laptop and then the tier three university data center up to the exascale at the end. And we see one of our duties here to support the scientists, helping them to prepare their codes for the exascale. So bridging the gap from resources which are available at the three end up to the tier one end. And of course, in between are, is our resources and services. And this is important because younger scientists needs to be introduced with the technologies and challenges of HPC to solve fascinating scientific questions in areas like healthcare, energy conversion, or basic science. To give you a few examples, what on our system is performed, we are active involved in projects where the COVID-19 virus spread is analyzed and predictions are made, which are immediately used by politicians to make decisions. So we support decision makers in that area. We also are running workflows to apply model-driven and data-driven approaches in the drug design process. And we are successful on that as well. And other examples are, for instance, helping scientists and companies about decisions about the location of wind parks and energy conversion projects, or even something like very basic science questions in the area of astrophysics requires large HPC resources, which can be given by tier three, tier two, and tier one centers in a pyramid-shaped way. In that case, for instance, to simulate the radiative transfer in stellar and planetary atmospheres to match observations obtained by astrophysics people. So if you're asking about the future, I may raise two aspects. One is very much important for us, that is the aspect of power consumption or energy efficiency, giving our end users the next performance steps. We have to care for select technologies which are power efficient. So here we are looking very much forward to novel developments and technology implementations. And the other aspect is immediately connected why we are so interested using one API. That is the diversity of processing storage devices will continue. So we see not only the CPUs and GPUs, we are talking here in the last minutes briefly, but I also mentioned FPGAs, which we are actively working with, in particular to be getting more insight about competitive performance per watt. And for that, one API is another interesting usage model. And of course, there might be other accelerators in the artificial intelligence space or maybe even quantum computing. And that's the processor side. I want also to remark that there are fascinating technology developments on the memory side, not only HPM and non-volatile RAM, but there are improvements on the horizon as well. One of these challenges related to memory technologies, for instance, bringing down the memory latencies is one challenging aspect in the future for HPC. Thomas, you mentioned a very important point, I think, so you mentioned that there will be more heterogeneous systems and you will not only have, from my perspective, 
a particular type of accelerator in your supercomputer, but you will have, from my perspective, different types. I mean, there are already data centers out there which not only use GPUs as accelerators, but they also have FPGAs or other components attached to their supercomputer to do computations on them. And if you want to program them, I think you don't want to learn new programming models over and over again and tune your particular code to these different architectures. And that's where one API has an important point with that programming model or this ecosystem, you can potentially write code. I think not for all of these hardware platforms since they are somehow different yet, but you can easily write code for the same hardware class and similar hardware architectures with the same code base, which increases your productivity. So the poor domain researcher that has written successfully his circle code or DPC++ code is now able to run this particular code, not on only, let's say, on CPUs, but also on different platforms without major rewrite efforts, but maybe with only little efforts. So the productivity for the researcher increases drastically, I think. Wow, Thomas and Stefan, it's been really exciting to hear about the success you're having with One API and having it be both performant and bringing in productivity so you can code once rather than having to maintain your code across all the different architectures with different code. Thomas, are there any places you want to share with people on where they can learn more? Yeah, so. Our results of our studies and investigations, we put it in papers, which are then public accessible. I point people who are interested to learn what we did in the past to the website of our institute, that is www.zib.de. And from there, you can search in the member menu for our names at this Thomas Steinke or Steffen Kriskau, and you will find the publications there. What you may also find interesting is the One API workshop that we had at ZIB with, with a lot of insights for starters, I think, as well. So what does a programming model look like? We also provided lots more details on the migration process together with Intel, and that might be a good starting point as well. And Klaus Dater, where could people learn more about One API and from Intel? Yeah, this is very easy to get more information on this because we have a nice entry portal to One API. So the webpage is intel.com slash One API. And on this entry portal, you will find more information, more links, for example, how to get access to the One API software. Also, there's a link to trainings and webinars. And similar to what Steph mentioned already, there's also a link to a training on how to migrate existing CUDA code to one API. And in particular, what should not be forgotten is we also offer the Dev Cloud. So this bunch of systems, and it's very easy to get an account on our Dev Cloud. And on the Dev Cloud, you can then try out the pre-installed One API software on real accelerators. Super. Well, thanks again. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Stefan, thank you. It's been great to hear your insights on the programming and the performance side. 
Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure for me as well. And Klaus Dieter, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Bernard. And thank you to our listeners today for joining us. Let's continue the conversation at oneapi.com. Thank you.